Tonight on NJ Spotlight News. Israel declares war after a surprise terror attack from the militant group Hamas. The death toll on both sides is rising. Americans among the dead. Security fears here in New Jersey and nationwide for mosques and synagogues are growing. It was not unprovoked, although still a war crime and deeply, deeply unjustified. Plus, speaker showdown. The fight for the speakership of the House becomes more urgent as the U.S. sends military aid in support of Israel. This was a terrorist act on the part of Hamas. This was a, an, an, an act of war against innocent people. Also, segregated schools in New Jersey. New Jersey's schools are historically and dramatically segregated. A superior judge finds statewide systemic failures to address racial segregation in our schools. And going on a bear hunt. The season begins after the passage of a five-year extension, but animal rights advocates continue to fight the fight. It's purely a trophy hunt, and there's no reason for it. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. Israel is at war with Hamas following an unprecedented attack of rocket and ground assaults by Hamas militants who broke out of the blockaded Gaza Strip early Saturday morning, striking five Israeli cities, including Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Officials say at least 900 people have been killed in Israel, including at least 11 Americans. And more than 550 Palestinians have died, according to Gaza's health ministry. Hamas has also claimed more than 100 civilian hostages. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responded immediately, formally declaring war, ordering a full siege of the Gaza Strip and vowing to turn parts of Gaza, quote, into rubble. Israel is pounding Gaza with airstrikes. The United Nations says Palestinian civilians are trapped and helpless in the bloody conflict. The White House today authorized military aid to support Israel and deployed aircraft carriers to the Mediterranean Sea in an effort to stabilize the region. New Jersey's U.S. Senator Cory Booker was in Jerusalem for official meetings when the attacks occurred. He posted a video to social media that he departed safely. New Jersey, though, is home to some of the largest Jewish and Palestinian communities in the U.S. with deep economic ties and direct government relations. Organizers from both sides of the conflict are planning rallies throughout New Jersey this week. Governor Murphy and other top leaders in the state are pledging their solidarity with Israel. Hagai Matar is a journalist in Tel Aviv who's long reported on the conflict between Israel and Palestine, and he joins me now with the latest. Hagai, I just want to thank you for taking a few minutes uh, to speak with me. Talk to me about what you've been witnessing in the last 48 hours, the sights, the sounds. Are you safe? 
Uh, well, I live in Tel Aviv, which means we have had um, some sirens and some uh, explosions, some direct hits from rockets from Gaza, uh, not too far from here. But thankfully, I and my family are safe right now. Um, the worst of what has been happening has been happening down south, um, where we are now hearing over 800 um, Israelis were killed, many of them in massacres uh, in their homes or at a music festival, um, and uh, about 100 abducted. And also in Gaza, where since middle of the day yesterday, uh, there's been ongoing bombardment that has killed so far about 500 Palestinians. This, by and large, is being described uh, as a surprise attack, but was it unprovoked? Well, I think it was surprising indeed. Um, there was no uh, lead up in the sense of a direct warning, as we have seen in previous incidents. Uh, at the same time, I think it would be wrong to call it unilateral or unprovoked in the sense that Israel has been maintaining a siege of the Gaza Strip um, for many, many years, almost 20 years now, uh, and ongoing occupation in the West Bank with apartheid policies uh, throughout the country. And that reality wherein Palestinians are regularly exposed to violence from Israel, where Palestinian families are also massacred by Israel um, occasionally, especially in Gaza. These things are things that happen to Palestinians on a regular basis. And in that sense, it was not unprovoked, although still a war crime and deeply, deeply unjustified. I mean, you've you've written pretty extensively about the terror that you and your colleagues, your family are feeling is really a sliver of what Palestinians, the peril Palestinians have been living under for decades now. Yes, like I said, um, it's, it's a reality we're in within this very bleeding conflict that has taken so much of a toll also in Israelis, the toll on Palestinians from the day to day of living under occupation or siege, which is a huge toll over for the entire society. Um, and on top of that, just the death toll on the Palestinian side is exponentially larger than on the Israeli side. And specifically in the context of Gaza, uh, in the previous wars, we've seen a, a casualty ratio of about 1 to 100, 1 to 200, um, or even more, where thanks to the Iron Dome and all sorts of mechanisms Israel has, the rockets fired from Gaza um, are rarely as lethal as the uh, aerial bombardments that Israel is uh, in, initiating within Gaza. Today, or the, the past couple of days, have been the exception of that, the very painful, terrible, dreadful uh, uh, exception to that, where for the first time in many years, we have been feeling what it is like to be exposed to have mm. absolutely no defenses facing yeah. um, these massacres. It feels different this time. I mean, you had Prime Minister Netanyahu come out right away declaring this award. Does it not feel different from your perspective as well, this this conflict? It feels very different. Like I said, I mean, the, the experience of being defenseless is something that I think we Israelis are not used to. We are used to the occasional death as part of um, the resistance to, to apartheid. Uh, it is a reality that we live with. 
but we also feel that there are people there defending us. I think that that feeling, that uh, sense of security has been just obliterated over the past few days. The, the understanding that you know hundreds and some say thousands of people in Gaza, from Gaza can just swarm into Israel and kill people in their homes and abduct people is a sense of defenselessness that Israelis have not felt, I think, in, in decades. Uh, the White House, Haggai, has said that it will send military aid, um, aid in a number of ways. What's the sense there? Is there frustration about that rather than the White House setting up, say, negotiations or peace talks? I think for the vast majority of Israelis right now, the focus is on a military response and not to say military uh, revenge. That is a very strong motivation for many people. You can hear it in TV studios. The one thing people are talking about is, you know, we need to flatten Gaza. We need to cause destruction in Gaza. Netanyahu's promise was to cause more harm and more pain in Gaza than in any of the previous wars. Uh, and just as a reminder, we've seen some of those wars with thousands of casualties on the Palestinian side. So Netanyahu's promise to do even worse than that is, is truly terrifying. And I think that's unfortunately where most Israelis are at right now. Um, and in that sense, the U.S. has been complicit in all these wars by offering that support throughout the years. Uh, I think right now with the U.S. sending support, there is the angle of defense and stopping the attack on Israeli communities that needs to be stopped. Um, I hope that we can quickly turn away from the path of violence that solves nothing, as we've seen with these as recurring rounds uh, of brutalities, uh, and turn to, first of all, releasing uh, the captives and uh, a prisoner exchange program between the two sides that will hopefully lead to a shift in consciousness and a realization that only through negotiations and peace can we actually offer ourselves and our neighbors uh, justice and security. Hagai Matar is a board member of the Union of Journalists in Israel. He's also the executive director of 972 Magazine. Hagai, thank you so much, uh, and you are in our thoughts. Thank you very much for having me. The Israel-Hamas war is adding new urgency to the U.S. House Speaker fight as the lower chamber remains paralyzed in its work since the ousting of former Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The GOP's intra-party fight is even more critical after the attack on one of America's closest allies. Without a speaker, the House can't pass emergency military aid for Israel or a spending bill to avert a government shutdown by mid-November. Congress is scheduled to return to D.C. tomorrow to tackle the consequential vote. So far, though, only Republican Representative Jeff Van Drew has publicly taken a stance, telling the press of A.C. he'll back conservative Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan in the race. New Jersey's other two GOP members, that's Representatives Tom Kane Jr. and Chris Smith, they haven't declared who they'd back. And it's unclear just how quickly a new leader will be elected. For more, I'm joined now by Democratic Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman. Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, thank you for joining me. Uh, again, we talk about this uh, fight over the next speaker. Um, under more difficult circumstances, that being the situation in Israel. Um, can you tell us where you stand on that? Uh, and obviously, I'm sure that there have been a lot of talks in Congress uh, about sending military aid. 
So we're not we're not in D.C. at the moment. Congress is sort of suspended in a crazy animation here. Sure, um, but you all, get... you all continue your conversations while you're at home. Yeah. We know. Um, but I stand solidly behind Israel. Um, Israel has a right to protect itself. This was a terrorist act on the part of Hamas. This was a, an, an, an act of war against innocent people. Uh, non-military installations, the taking of hostages is just uh, barbaric and horrific. And we need to be solidly with Israel as we stop this moment. But we also need to understand that there's innocent loss of life on the other side as well. And we need to look at the long-term issues here that need to be addressed. There's never gonna be safety and security and peace and harmony until there is an understanding that Palestinians and Israelis will need to live together in proximity to one another with dignity and respect. And so I'm praying mightily. I I know people who are there now. I've just had a long converse, text conversation with someone who lives there now. Thank God he and his family are safe. And I stand with Israel as we make sure that it can secure uh, its communities and its people. How is this affecting the discussions about the next speaker? Uh, the House obviously is unable to do work in terms of passing military aid or any type of emergency expenditures to send to Israel without someone in the speaker seat. So this is a worse time that we could have had this situation with Israel as well as with Ukraine, because we're in, not in a position right now to be led by the majority. And that is a, a, a blemish, a stain on our institution and on our ability to govern. Republicans have decided that they would rather uh, hold on to loyalties to a former president who has done nothing to help anybody in this country than to do the business for which they were elected. And we have lots of things that need to be done, not the least of which is to see that both Israel has what it needs uh, to ensure its security and Ukraine has its need. Now, I don't really know what's happening down there in Washington because right now, those discussions are among the Republicans behind Republican closed doors. But all I know is at the end of the day, somebody has to have 217 votes. I know that we've got 211 or 212 for the person that I think that should be the uh, speaker, and that would be Hakeem Jeffries. And we would only need three, four, five, maybe, you know, reasonable thinking, moderate Republicans who want to see government get back to work for all of well, the let people. Well, let me ask you about that, them. Congresswoman. At this hour, it appears that a, a, a good number of the GOP caucus are leaning toward Jim Jordan as the next speaker. Do you see him as someone who could carry out uh, the mission of the House and the agenda um, that is before you? No, Jim Jordan is not a leader. He's a divider. He's a he's a very contentious individual. He spews lies. He ignored the institution that he wants to lead now when he was subpoenaed to come talk about his shenanigans during the January 6th insurrection. Absolutely not. He has no integrity and he has no capacity to lead. 
You all are back tomorrow, yes, in on the Hill. Um, what can we expect in terms of a vote? Do you have any idea about uh, the schedule for the next couple of days? I have no idea. I'm not sure Republicans even know what they're going to do as the majority in the House of Representatives right now. But I strongly suspect that we're not going to have any kind of business on the floor until they're reasonably assured that they have whatever votes they, they need, and it's a minimum of 217. So we may be in for, you know, another really rough patch like we had the first time we voted for McCarthy. Uh, not to mention the clock is ticking uh, to avert a government shutdown. Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. On Friday, a state superior court judge ruled in a highly anticipated case regarding the high rates of segregation in New Jersey schools and found the state failed to address the racial imbalance or remedy the situation. But the judge also rejected plaintiffs' claims of statewide segregation and the argument that New Jersey needs to fix segregation based on student poverty. The lawsuit was filed in 2018 by a group of students, school districts, and educators advocates arguing that the state policy requiring students to attend school where they live violates their student rights. But a senior political correspondent David Cruz reports the judge's ruling doesn't answer what the state is supposed to do next. For a decision that took over a year to get to and was released in news dump territory late on a Friday afternoon of a three-day weekend, the much-anticipated ruling in the school segregation lawsuit brought by the Latino Action Network and others, did little to move the case along, although the plaintiff's lawyer said there was much to his liking in the 99 pages. Oh, I think he ruled on a lot. Yeah. Um, his ruling reinforces that segregation is a significant problem in New Jersey's public schools. It reinforces that it's the state's obligation to address that. It makes clear that home rule is no excuse for it. Um, and it finds a tremendous number of facts in our favor. Larry Lussberg says the judge didn't rule on either side's request for summary judgment and left both sides wondering what their next move is, or even if there is a next move. Unusual situation when a judge finds all the facts in your favor and then doesn't ultimately find in your favor with regard to the ultimate question. Um, and we have to consider very carefully what that means in terms of next steps. Does it mean there's a trial? Does it mean there's an appeal? Does it mean that we begin a negotiation process? Governor Murphy has stayed away from weighing in on the suit. Friday's ruling didn't change that either. A statement says our administration remains committed to creating equitable and inclusive learning environments that reflect the diversity of our state, which is pretty much what the governor has been saying now literally for years. NJ Spotlight Education reporter Hannah Gross says, regardless of what comes next, this case has just begun. It's a lot to sort through in the 99-page decision, and the judge um, did not grant summary judgment in many of the places where both parties wanted it, so there could be a protracted trial, um, but it's it's hard to say. I mean, this lawsuit was filed five years ago, and it's been about a year since the oral argument. So we could see that it's taken a really long time. So if there is an appeal, which would be determined within the next 20 days, 
it's likely that will take a long time to be sorted out as well. And in the meantime, doesn't seem like there would be action on these districts where there is a high level of segregation. The truth is that the timing of this ruling has caught most of the stakeholders flat-footed. Lawmakers we were able to reach hadn't even read the ruling today, and plaintiffs deferred to their lawyer. If this is how this case ends, it will be with a whimper, where it seems everyone involved believes a bang is what's needed. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report tonight, Wall Street is reacting to the Israeli-Hamas war. Stocks hovered around a flatline today as investors tried to shake off the pressures of the deadly conflict. Here's how the markets closed. Today marks the start of black bear hunting season in New Jersey. It's the first iteration of the controversial hunt after the practice was extended another five years by state regulators. Governor Murphy campaigned on ending it entirely and took steps to limit the practice. But the administration changed course last year after agreeing with environmental officials about a surge in the reported bear population and the need for the hunt as part of the black bear management plan. Opponents, though, point to data showing bear activity is down this year and argue that non-lethal measures could be taken to allow people and bears to coexist. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports. Today is the opening day of our October bear season. So the first day of the hunt. The bear hunt that was stopped by Governor Murphy in 2020 is back in full this year. There was a partial hunt last year, but new rules just adopted by New Jersey's Fish and Game Council have fully restored the hunt for the next five years. It kicks off today through Saturday and could have another round in December on both private and state lands. The bear hunt is part of our comprehensive black bear management policy which is an integrated approach to managing black bears in New Jersey. It's a contentious issue in New Jersey, with conservationists insisting that non-lethal means of controlling the bear population are effective and more humane. It's purely a trophy hunt, and there's no reason for it. Trophy hunts do nothing to manage bears, reduce complaints or incidents. We have dozens of ways, of practical ways of uh, reducing bear complaints, reducing their population, and key is keeping them away from human food. By removing food sources, you remove their ability to reproduce, says Mettler. But David Golden refutes that, and he now has the support of Governor Murphy, who once promised to end the hunt for good. What we've found over times where there's been um, uh, extensive work on trying to reduce human-derived food sources, in New Jersey, we find that that is not an effective way to manage the bear population. The hunt will end as soon as it reaches 30% of the total estimated number of bears in the state. If they don't reach 20% by the end of the December hunt, they'll extend it. But how they get to those total estimates is where this gets a little complicated. No tags, no tattoos. When we've had full hunts, we are able to estimate the population. So the way we estimate population is through a technique called mark recapture. So our biologists mark a number of bears ahead of the bear season. And then when bears come into our check stations, 
we calculate the number of tagged bears that were marked earlier against untagged or unmarked bears. And that allows us to generate a population estimate. In 2022, the Bear Hunt Agency, the Division of Fish and Wildlife, claimed that there was 3,500 to 4,000 bears in New Jersey. Well, their own data shows that that was less than half. The Fish and Game Council is cooking the numbers. They say there's 4,000 bears when last year's hunt proved there are only 2,000 bears. The DEP says last year's incomplete hunt contributed to an inability to get an accurate bear count. But former state Senator Ray Lesniak filed a lawsuit through his advocacy organization, the Lesniak Institute for American Leadership, challenging the composition of the Fish and Game Council. Six out of the 11 members of the Fish and Game Council are appointed on recommendation by the Sportsman's Club. Sportsman Club is in favor of hunting. That's why they exist, basically. And um, Article 3 and Article 4 of the New Jersey Constitution says public policy is made by the judiciary, the legislature, and the executive branch of government. It doesn't include the Sportsman's Club. Which is a private organization. Which is a private organization of sportsmen, basically hunters. Lesniak just lost his challenge in Superior Court, but he's appealing before the same judge. He believes anyone appointed to the council should have a background in conservation and wildlife preservation. In Newton, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. That's going to do it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. The members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.